0: Back in the late 90s, early 2000s, it was something to keep quiet. It was a dirty secret. And now, 25 years later, look, Laura, we're so vocal about our MS. And Dan and I often joke it's a disease nobody wants. But once you're included in the group, you take advantage of your community and you relish having people who who get you.
1: Everyone has a story to tell, and we invite you to join us for the Multiple Sclerosis Diagnosis Journey podcast and listen to these unique stories. Greetings and welcome to the MS Diagnosis Journey podcast. I'm your host, Laura Koloskowski. And for this episode, I have a special treat. We've got a two for one special. We have Dan and Jennifer Digman with us today to share their diagnosis stories and a little bit more about their life with MS. So I'm gonna begin with talking to Dan about his diagnosis and then we'll flip to Jennifer and then we'll do a little Q and A. So welcome to the two of you and thanks for joining us today.
2: Thanks for having us, Laura. This This is really good, thank you.
1: So we'll start out with you, Dan. Can you tell us a little bit about what kind of symptoms you experienced that caused you to go see a doctor?
2: I had some numbness and tightness in my torso. I was down in, at a, after a conference and I was laying in the hotel room and I had rolled over in the bed because I was reading the newspaper. and I felt like I was laying on a towel or something, you know, how you have stuff on the bed. And I looked down and there was nothing on the bed. And so I kind of thought that was interesting. But then I realized I had numbness in my hands, too. And so I went to the doctor because I thought maybe I had pinched a nerve. And uh, they did a lot of testing and everything. And three months later, I was diagnosed with MS.
1: So it was pretty quick for you to go from numbness in your torso and your limbs to having a diagnosis. Did the doctors, like, jump right in and think, okay, there's something neurological going on? Or did they look at other conditions as well
2: you know I think they may have looked at other things however this was back in like 1999 and so this is very early on when they were still doing all like the spinal tap testing and everything and it had taken a while for people to get diagnosed with MS there actually was something maybe a year prior to that in my annual physical when I asked and commented to the doctor about something was when I would drive to work, and I was commuting like an hour at the time, and I would look down to change the radio station, and I'd get this shocking sensation going down my spine. And he had marked it off as just thinking I was a little overweight. And so with that, now that I've had MS, you understand and realize that that was lear syndrome. And so I think with everything I was experiencing here in 1999, because I had had stuff previously, like a year earlier, that kind of hinted at potentially multiple sclerosis, I think that made the diagnosis maybe easier or quicker. Because when when I was having all of this testing done in 99, that was in October, and then I did testing and went in had my MRI and everything, and it was on uh, December 17th, that my radiology report had come back from the MRI and said that test results most likely was multiple sclerosis. And then in on Valentine's Day of 2000, I was formally diagnosed. Oh,
1: well, happy Valentine's Day.
2: Exactly.
1: What a love letter to get from your neurologist. So (laughs) when you say you were three months in the process, you were really much longer than that. You just didn't realize that your journey had started without you knowing that.
2: Exactly.
1: Well, I'm glad you didn't linger long looking for answers to your questions. Now, Jennifer, let's switch to you. And what were the kinds of symptoms you experienced that sent you talking to doctors about what the heck's going on with my body?
0: I keep in mind, Laura, this was way back in 1997, 1996, my senior year of college. I was experiencing numbness in my feet. And I went to my primary doctor. She looked at my feet and she said, well, those are horrible shoes. Keep in mind, again, it was the 90s fashion was way better than function. And she said, if you get a better pair of shoes, the numbness will go away. And sure enough, it did. I'm I'm laughing, thinking you wearing platform shoes
1: of some sort. Um, yeah. The they were yeah.
0: they were hideous, but it was the nineties and they were cute at the time. So then maybe three months later, back to my primary doctor, I go and I say, Doctor, now my right hand is numb. G said, Well, Jennifer, you're getting ready to graduate from college. You're writing exam blue books, you're studying, you're not getting a lot of sleep. As soon as you graduate, the numbness will go away. Sure enough, it did. So then I graduate college in 97. I get my first big girl job in Detroit and I'm working one night. And boom, there are two distinct images of a computer screen and my left eye will not move. And my right eye is is moving, but the left one's not. So I was a little scared, and I drove from Detroit back to my parents' house. And I said, okay, I need to see a doctor, and there's no way she can explain this away. So I went to my primary doctor, and she said, yes, you are correct. There's no way I can explain this away. So she referred me to an ophthalmologist, And that doctor told me he thought it was MS. And he referred me to a neurologist who prescribed or scheduled me for a lumbar puncture. Did the spinal tap, showed what the doctor was looking for. And I was diagnosed. It was a matter of I went home from work on a Friday, spent a sleepless weekend, Saw the ophthalmologist on Monday, got my diagnosis from the neurologist maybe on Tuesday. Keep in mind, I'm a little fuzzy. I've got the multiple sclerosis, and that was a long time ago, but it was quick. But much like Dan, when you look back at the symptom and the amount of time you were seeing doctors, it wasn't quick, but it seemed incredibly quick and blindsided me. I had no idea I was 23 years old just graduated from college. What do you mean, multiple sclerosis? So you mentioned that uh, you
1: had this numbness and you went to the doctors to begin with, and then it kind of went away, so you ignored it. Or they kind of told you to go away because it was something that would go away. And then you got blindsided literally by this problem with the optic nerves. Was it optic neuritis then that you had?
0: Yes, it was.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I shake my head at both of your stories because, again, I hear people presenting to the medical community with some very clear symptoms, which we now know is MS. But like you, maybe looking back, we had no idea what it was. So, Dan and Jen, did you know other people that had multiple sclerosis before you were
2: diagnosed? I did. Just, but when I was working at a newspaper, our webmaster had MS and you don't really, it's like you, you hear about it, but you didn't really, you couldn't grasp what that meant. I mean, because, and she walked with a cane, but she was also very functional and did things. So you're just, I don't know, I I guess I didn't want to pry or think anything of it. I, or, or maybe I didn't want to sound out of touch with things because I'm thinking, Oh, of course everybody knows what multiple sclerosis is, but not really knowing. So I truly didn't know anybody beyond her that had MS.
0: And I didn't either. Laura, I, my dad come to find out after you're diagnosed, my dad said, Oh, I had an uncle. So that would have been like a great uncle that was diagnosed with MS. And my mom told me maybe three, five months after my diagnosis that when my grandmother gave birth to my uncle, her brother, she, my grandmother lost, um, she had lost function on one side of her body and had numbness. And the doctor told her he thought it was multiple sclerosis, but she never, you know, keep in mind again, that was a long time ago and never definitively was diagnosed. But my parents didn't really know a lot, and neither did I. Back then, Annette Funicello had been diagnosed. So that was really the only famous person even that I knew.
2: And I had known when they uh, had announced or reported that Clay Walker had been diagnosed with MS. And, I mean, that's how clueless i was because i liked clay walker and then with every new album that he would release i thought oh well that's great he's still able to do things because i honestly didn't know that much but it was just like was ms just something where you were going to lose all functionality and um seemingly disappear but that he was still present i thought well that's good he's still still doing things but other than that yeah there really wasn't a lot of knowledge but now Once you're diagnosed and all of a sudden you find out, oh, well, this person's mother had MS, this person's father, you just start, because sometimes it was just like people weren't talking about it and kind of like hiding it.
0: Because it was back in the, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s, it was something to keep quiet. It was before the Americans with Disabilities Act. And it was just, you you kept it quiet. I remember my first in-person support group, one of the members was diagnosed and she didn't want to tell anyone. Like it was a dirty secret. And now 25 years later, look, Laura, we're so vocal about our MS. And when we're diagnosed, I think a large number of us share it and want to get on medication and be proactive as soon as possible. Yeah, well, I think of my aunt, who
1: my mother's sister, who was diagnosed in early 20s and lived to the age of 81. And um, it was like the last 15, 20 years, she was in a wheelchair. But when she was diagnosed, she was sternly admonished by her medical team, do not tell anyone that you have MS, because that will be the end of your career. You won't find anyone to marry. You will be told not to have children. All these things that we now know are not true. But I, I grew up with an aunt who had MS, so I had a close family member who I knew knew the disease and the impact that it had on her. So, But there are so many people who, like you say, didn't talk about it, and now we
2: do. Yes. Absolutely.
0: And it's a better thing because we talk about it and we feel comfortable. I, Dan and I often joke it's a disease nobody wants, but once you're included in the group, you're... You, take advantage of your community and you relish having people who will get you. Yeah. And that we have a, have a million
1: people in this country that are diagnosed with MS. Mm-hmm. And my husband often comments to other people, there are probably so many more people who either have not been diagnosed or don't even know that they have MS, have a clue that they should be looking for a diagnosis. So that I think the prevalence is much greater than that 1 million that we count now. So Dan or Jen, both of you jump in on this question. For people who are experiencing weird symptoms that they think perhaps it might be a mess, what kind of advice would you give to them on their journey?
0: Don't let up. I mean, find the answers. See the doctors that you need to. I I would say be, be fearless and persistent and write things down. As Dan and I recounted to you, Laura, we can look back at the beginning of these wacky symptoms and piece them all together. That's, you know, having a little time or a lot of time in our case to say, okay, this, this and this. But when you start having strange symptoms, keep track of them and reach out to a doctor.
2: And I think that's just making it known because we talked about, quote unquote, how quickly I was diagnosed. Well, that was in part because I had said something to my doctor a year prior about the shocking sensation down my spine. And so it's like to be able to make it easier for your doctors to connect the dots, to see things. So it's like, You have to walk a fine line of not being a hypochondriac versus reporting what's there and what, you know, so don't read into a lot of things. But at the same time, you need to be proactive in taking care of your health. So don't be shy about it. Do your research. And that's the beauty of where we are today in 2022 with the Internet, with online communities. You can do a lot of this research on your own to at least get a sense or an idea of things to know what to talk to your doctor about and get input and perspective on things. So I think that's the big thing is there's, you know, when we talk about being quiet or not telling people, there's a, some good anonymity on the internet when you go to these online communities. Um, so don't, don't be afraid to ask others and to get a sense of of where you are and what you're experiencing.
1: And is there a, particular type of doctor you would recommend people try to seek out if they think they have MS?
0: Certainly, I would say talk to your primary care doctor. But right now in in the wake of the pandemic, seeing a primary care doctor is a little more difficult, I think for everyone, seeing medical professionals. But to see your primary doctor and see if he or she puts some pieces together. And then if you're not getting the answers you want, the neurologist has been so critical for both of us. And for me, in my case, when I had eye problems, my ophthalmologist, he is the one that first gave me the indication that it could possibly be multiple sclerosis. But even a physical therapist, I mean, whoever you can talk to, you feel comfortable, you have that relationship that medical professionals can really be beneficial in getting your diagnosis.
2: I would agree. I think that it is just who knows you best that would have recollections to know what symptoms you have. Obviously, it was my primary care doctor because it was during an annual physical that I had first noted about the, the shocking sensation. And then he referred me then to all the testing and he was one who then referred me to the neurologist. So it's like people who have that background, or like Jennifer said, with the physical therapist, or people who've been working with you, they could see a decline, or they could measure your strength and do things. So I think it's whoever you're most comfortable with that would know uh, the most about your situation and your physical abilities and or status. I think that's the big thing. And again, just don't be shy. Talk to the people.
1: So there you have it. Those of you who've been listening, our guests today have been Dan and Jennifer Digman, or I should say Jennifer and Dan Digman. Um, <laughs> I always I always can't decide which one to put first because they're both powerhouses and living with them and sharing their experiences with others. And if you heard Jennifer say it. Be fearless and don't give up if you know something's wrong. Keep looking for the answers. And they both strongly advocate for beginning with your primary care physician and how you want them to have that relationship with you and be able to chart your history and understand what changes you're experiencing in your body. So Dana, and Jennifer, thank you very much. This has been a great conversation. And I know the listeners will appreciate you sharing your journey with them.
0: Well, thank yes, you thanks. for asking us. This was a wonderful opportunity to share our story. And just always good to talk with you and our community.
2: Yes, thanks a lot, Laura. This was this was good. We hope it helps others.